What's going on, everybody? It's the Rear Naked Recap, UFC Vegas 46, the first UFC event of 2022, and uh, agreed, yeah, I should have hedged out of that main event. Decided to let it ride. All the same, we were 6-3 and three going into the main event, 10-fight card, ended up going 6-4 and four overall, so not a great result for 2022. Prop sides of things, okay. Parlay side of things, almost hit the top two tickets, could have hedged out again. Greed, greed was kind of the theme for me on a personal level, but... Yeah, not a terrible result for the first event. Uh, things went right. Things did go wrong. Hopefully, we can improve on it next time around. Starting at the bottom, we got TJ Brown versus Charles Rosa. I should have gone higher on TJ Brown. Yes, yes. High insight thing for sure. But I don't like Charles Rosa. I mean, we just recently nominated him as the most fadable guy in the UFC roster on the 2021 end of review show. He's just fadable. Why is he so fadable? Because he can't wrestle. If you're fighting in the UFC, you're fighting in MMA, you're fighting at a high level, you need to be able to wrestle. And in Charles Rosa's case, his striking's okay, his jiu-jitsu's okay, but he can never play it to his favorable hand because if he wants to strike, he's getting taken down. If he wants to grapple, preferably wants to be on top, doesn't matter because he's continuously getting taken down. So for, I, I think the reason I didn't end up going so high on him was people got in my ear, and not blaming on Paul in the slightest bit, but I think... Uh, with Charles Rosa, he has rotated a lot of wins and losses. He's never lost too straight. He recently just signed a new contract with the UFC. Maybe there's a sense that if this fight went to some deeper waters, TJ Brown would tire. But again, man, it's that takedown defense. So first round, I thought Brown fought a terrible game plan. It was making me feel like, you know what? I'm glad I didn't load up on him. Maybe I made the right choice here. But uh, the first round, I thought he was just standing right in front of Charles Rosa and striking a lot. Now, if you watch his fight um, a couple fights ago, he's not... He's not great on defending leg kicks. I mean, he just gets chopped up routinely, routinely. You know, and all of a sudden he's not mobile. He's not moving quite as well. He starts to get tired. It becomes a problem. You did see it in the Danny Chavez fight. Uh, by the time he wanted to wrestle, his lead leg was already chewed up. This fight was initially supposed to be against uh, Gabriel Benitez. Had he fought that kind of game plan against Benitez, probably not would have gone well. Against Charles Rosa, he just stood kind of right in front of him. So if you watch the first three minutes of the first round... Charles Rose is beating him because of the leg kicks. He buckles his leg at like the 92nd mark. I mean, he's hurting him routinely. I don't know why it's taking Brown so long to get to his wrestling, but finally at the end of the first, you know, he charges forward, he lands some decent punches, he lands a takedown perfect. Second round, he knows now, go to the well with the takedowns, and so he just gets right back to the takedowns. Now, his top game's not great. Like, once he would get the fights to the ground, there wasn't a whole lot out of him. He wasn't a whole lot of ground and pound. He wasn't really looking to improve position. He would try to set up the arm triangle, and a couple of them did look pretty tight, but Charles Rosa has never been submitted, and we have seen him in some very tight arm triangles in specific. It just doesn't matter. He's got solid takedown defense, or sorry, uh, not takedown defense, solid submission defense, so he's able to just kind of throw it off the attack. Then he would hit a switch. He'd hit a reversal. He'd hit a sweep. He'd get on top briefly, but he would just kind of pull guard on these submission attempts. Try to fish for a neck, and it would allow Brown to just end up back on top. Second round, a lot more clear for Brown. Third round, rinse and repeat. Just go to the wrestling. Take them down. But you do see Brown is very tired in that third round, and it allows you know some moments for Rosa. He gets a takedown. He ends up on top for a little bit. Probably his best round of the three, but takedown defense seriously hurt him, seriously harmed him in this fight, as it is in most of his fights. And Brown is the victor. So Brown kind of fought like he would have been not a top ticket guy, but he could have probably been on the second or third ticket. I'd put him on the fourth ticket. The, my big screw up here is I should have replaced him with Brahimaj, who we'll talk about in a little bit. But I mean, good game plan for Brown, just limited. Like, I don't know if he'll be able to pull that off 
versus more credible opponents. And for Charles Rose, I mean, this is this is it. We, we know how to beat him. If anybody even has a modicum of and it's just become a large, large problem for him. He's 35 years old. He's had bad neck surgeries. I, honestly, like I kind of feel like he's near the end of his road, but he just signed a new contract. So, you know, what do I know? And in terms for Brown, yeah, Brown moves forward. He needed a win. He was coming off kind of, a, I wouldn't say a robbery, but like could have been a robbery against Kai Kamaka and had lost his previous two before that. When you come to the UFC, you sign a four-fight deal, right? So this is the last fight on his contract. You need to go and have a win and have a decent showing. And he did both of those things. So a uh, solid victory for TJ Brown. And uh, yeah, we started off the new year 1-0. Brian Keller versus Kevin Kroom. Funny how things work out, right? So Brian Keller is supposed to take on Karamanov and don't want any piece of him. Paul and I talked about on the previous show, Caramano was a bigger guy, probably had just as deep of as a gas tank, had probably a slight wrestling advantage, and would just kind of box him up standing, you know, have some better success. Caramano was our pick of the, not pick of the week, but it was the pick that we were going with this week's preview show. Literally, a, probably two hours after we filmed the preview show, Karamanov's off. And they bring in Kevin Kroom. And right away, they announce Kevin Kroom. I'm thinking the line's going to be the most physical guy. Crew never even got a whiff of a takedown. Like, he looked lost in there. And his striking's not very good. His wrestling's not very good. Takedown defense's not very good. He does have some decent cardio, can push some decent pace. But outside of that, he just doesn't got enough going for him. Keller's getting a little bit old. And he's not the kind of guy that you want to trust, ticket guy. But this is a style clash that favors him because he has the advantage everywhere. So first round, I'm expecting a walk in the park for Brian Kelleher. And it kind of starts off like that. Like, he clips him, what, 90 seconds in, uh, drops Kevin Kroom pounces on him doesn't come close to a finish but you know definitely land some good work and now it's okay this first round's going to be his but after that knockdown what 90 seconds into the, to the first round he does nothing he got outworked by kevin groom for the remainder of the first round so for me this is a difficult round to score because on one hand he did get the early knockdown it was the most significant thing that happened on the other side of things he got outstruck like 24 to 10 in the first he allowed the volume to escape from and if this is going to happen again in the second and third round, we're going to be in some trouble. But again, similar to our first fight with TJ Brown, once TJ Brown got a whiff of that first takedown and realized like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine hanging out on top of him. You just go back to the same game plan. Kelleher started to find his range a little bit in the second round, but it was his ability to just go to the takedowns, go to the takedowns, take him down, work, work him on top, land some decent ground and pound. And if this kid tries to get back up, just ground him again. Kevin Kroom wasn't physical enough. Now in the third round, Kevin Kroom's tired. You know, he has a decent gas tank, but he was tired. And Kelleher, meanwhile, known to have a deep gas tank of his own, he looked fresh. He looked confident. And all of a sudden, he was able to find his distance way better because Kroom's tall. First couple of rounds, he kind of struggled finding his distance. Third round, this guy's not moving as much. He's a lot slower. And he's just all full of confidence at this point. Kelleher uh, does exactly what he needs to do. Third round, his best round. He was just picking up like a steam engine. All good there. But not a great first round. So I think when you top ticket a guy, you just want this to be an easy walk in the park. And it was a little greasy through the first two. But uh, Brian Kelleher proved to be the superior guy. So solid victory for Kelleher. He's kind of a gatekeeper. I'm sure they'll try to rebook a Karamanov-type fight because uh, these young kids will learn a lot from going in there and getting rounds with a very savvy veteran. And he, he could win a fight like that. But he's not elite by any means. But a guy that you can rely on if you get a favorable style clash. And that's what we got here. For Kevin Kroom, super limited. Strong argument should have never been in the UFC to begin with, but pulled off that upset victory over uh, Roosevelt Roberts in his debut. It ended up being a no contest, but outside of that, he's looked lost and out of place. And, uh, you know, started out good here, had a decent first round. Kid took the fight on what, a day's notice? Like, I can't I can't cut him down too, not a day's notice, 
three days notice. Can't cut him down too much, but he, he looked out of place. So we'll see. I'm sure they'll give him another one. We'll see if he can rebound from that. Corey McGee versus Ramiz Brahamaj. This is my first album by shit of the new year. And this is also, I'm not chalking up to bad luck. Bad call. Bad call. Bad call on my part. Um, again, can never blame anybody but yourself. But I didn't like Brahimaj when he came to the UFC. He fought Max Payne Griffin. He looked largely out of place and had his ear busted off. Second fight, I tried to fade him based on largely on the same thing. He's fighting Sasha Plotnikov, but I just I don't really like this guy. And I took a lot of flack from people that were like, you are so wrong on this one. This kid's got legitimate BJJ. Wrestling's pretty okay. Trains out of four to seven, man, getting better and better and better. Still young. He's going to buzzsaw right through shot Sasha Plotnikov. And he did exactly that. So, okay. Ate a little bit of crow there. Apparently this kid's all right. And I, and I think that being in my mind kind of caused me to go maybe a little too high on him over Court McGee. Because as Paul and I spoke about on the show, Court McGee has never been submitted. Uh, I think he's been knocked out like one time by Santiago Ponzinibbio. So like no big deal. But he's known for cast iron durability. The man died of a drug overdose, resuscitated, came back to life, and went on to have a prosperous MMA career. Won the all fighter. So... Corey McGee is just known for that toughness and that durability, and he has good cardio. You knew that he'd be likely good to go for three full rounds, whereas we knew, because we discussed it, Brahimash has, what, eight first-round submission victories? He has got a guy that has his way early, or he's going to fall apart a little bit. And against Sasha Plotnikov, yeah, yeah, he buzzsawed right through. Against Corey McGee, not likely to be the case. Um, all that aside, he never looked in this fight right from the get-go. Like, fight starts, his striking's not as good as Corey McGee's, his wrestling's not as good as Corey McGee's, and even on the ground. Like, he he had a couple favorable positions. He almost took Corey McGee's back. He ended up on top on a few occasions, but wasn't able to hold him down. Nothing of substance. His own offensive wrestling, not even a whiff of trying to take down Court for the most part. His striking, he was faster than Corey McGee. He had the faster hands, but you saw it was a lot of wasted movement. Like, Court, for as unathletic and slow as he is at this point he doesn't waste any energy he doesn't waste any space he doesn't waste any time he knows exactly what he's doing and that's a sign of a savvy veteran but uh this this to me on a personal level it felt very similar less it's less stakes it, it felt similar to watching blow mahone versus wonder boy thompson like yeah maybe if some space was created this guy could make something happen but court similar style uh just just drowned him just like blow mahone there was no space to work with his chest to chest the whole time. He took him down whenever he wanted. Solid work from Corey McGee. This is a solid win for Corey McGee because, again, at this stage of his career, you're getting a little bit older. you got the miles. To go out there and beat a young kid, a young prospect, that does world to the confidence. I can still compete at this level. I can still compete with these guys. Similar to Brian Callagher, journeyman, not making a run anytime soon. Why didn't he fight Carlos Condor with this exact same game plan? Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. But he's going to be able to expose these guys that are frauds. And I'm sorry. But I know now for sure, Rummy's Brahimaj is a fraud. He just hasn't got it. Like, what's his game based on? Striking, not that good. Wrestling, not good. Uh, takedown defense, well, we know it's not good. But his offensive wrestling, just not good enough to get the fight to the ground where he can use his best weapon, his jiu-jitsu. And when you're fighting at an elite level in the UFC, your jiu-jitsu's got to be something special. Everybody's a BJJ black belt. What makes you a good BJJ black belt? What makes you a competition guy? Do you have some trick in your back pocket? Because he just didn't have it. So stick him back into fighting the Sasha Plotnikovs of the world. Try to build him back up. But like a savvy veteran like Court McGee was way too much. He never once was in this fight. Never once had a moment against Court McGee. So solid victory for Court. 
Unfortunately, blew up a couple tickets for myself and Ramiz Brahimaj. Lesson learned. Do not want any more action on that guy moving forward. Jamie Pickett versus Joseph Holmes. So uh, the train started off good, but we were Brian Keller, TJ Brown. Now it starts to fall off the cliff a little bit. Cormac McGee was uh, the first. Well, Brahimaj was the one that shit in the pipe. And then Jamie Pickett, Joseph Holmes. Holmes was the least confident guy I had on the card. I mean, just the confidence level is not there. Uh, did end up picking him, however, against Jamie Pickett. Now, a lot of people, a lot of friends of mine, had touted Jamie Pickett as being potential dog of the week. You know, this guy should be able to go and win. He's got the savvy experience. I shouldn't say savvy. He's not like he's got deep experience, but he's already got three UFC fights. He's fought in the Contender Series. He's fought in better guys than this. So he's been there, done that. Holmes, meanwhile, did win in the Contender Series. Never got a contract out of it. Won one fight on the regional scene. Taking this fight, not on like, uh, doesn't have tons of notice to prepare for it. Like there was things working against him. I truly did believe if it stayed to the outside and it stayed a striking battle, he would be able to edge out that striking battle. First round kind of going that way. I mean, they didn't spend a lot of time in the clinch, too much time for my liking in the clinch, but he wasn't out of it. You know, it was 50-50 position in the clinch as far as I'm concerned. It's that when they would separate, the volume was coming from Holmes. I mean, he was able to land a couple decent body kicks, stay to the outside, land a couple jabs, just kind of a volume them. I think fight metric had it like 24 to 10 first round in favor of Joseph Holmes. Second round, he's tired, man. He just gets smothered up against the cage, and that's where the veteranship comes in for Pickett. Pickett's got a decent chin on him. Yeah, Jordan Wright knocked him out in a minute, but outside of that, only time he's actually been knocked out was that Jordan Wright fight. Outside of that, the guy's got some decent durability, and he just showed in his last fight against Terrapoli, and these kind of will, fights that are just a will of attrition, he, he's in it. He can go three, four rounds. You know, He can press you up against the cage as much as you can do it to him. He nullifies him in the second round, so we got a 1-1 going to third, anybody's fight. And... uh I thought I thought the third round maybe could have been going Joseph Holmes's favor, maybe ever so slightly. Then he gets taken down. And as soon as he got taken down, he ate a bunch of elbows to the side of the head, and that was it. Sealed the deal for Jamie Pickett. That's a that's a victory. That's it is what it is. This weekend there will be a heavyweight bout between one of the sport's best knockout artists and an undefeated challenger. This will fly which is great for you because new DraftKings Sportsbook customers can bet just $1 and win $100 in free bets if either fighter lands a punch. That's all it takes. One jab, cross, hook, uppercut, haymaker, or hammer fist, and the money is yours. The heavyweight title bout is scheduled for five rounds, and I can't imagine it goes the distance without a punch being landed. So bet just $1 on this no-brainer and win $100 in free bets. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DOP. Throw down just $1 on the UFC 270 main event and win $100 in free bets if Nganu or Gon land a punch. That's code DOP this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Bill Aljeo versus Joannis and Brito. This is another one. Not uh, not so good. I will blame the read. The read wasn't as great. Honestly, with Bill Aljeo, and again, Paul and I spoke about this on the preview show, is that he's got skills everywhere. Like, he can strike. He's got a BJJ black belt. It's just that his takedown defense is not good. His physicality is not that good. It doesn't seem like he's all that strong. He's got good cardio. He's got good output. But when we spoke about this now... When you're fighting at this level, you got to be able to stuff the takedowns. In the first round, Joannis and Brito goes, presses him up against the cage, takes him down. Perfect. A little bit of work on top. 
You see Bella scramble to get back up. And then Brito just picks him up with like a giant slam. Here's where things, it's kind of actually like the beginning of the end for Joannis and Brito. He picks LJO up. Beautiful. Nice. Sweet. Instead of just laying him down for that takedown, he carries him across the ring, presumably to his own corner, then stops, then carries him to the center of the cage, then stops, then walks right back to the position he was just in by his corner and dumps him. It's a lot of wasted energy. And then that became the theme for him. Everything he started to do from that point forward was just all energy all the time. Like he gets the back take. He, he tries to power on his back. He gets swept. He gets beat up a little bit on the ground. Powers his way back up. His striking revolves around just coming straight forward and slinging bombs. Aljeo clipped him with a knee, just a straight knee right up the middle. It got his attention. You see, he kind of rocks his head back. But then he just reverts back to marching forward and swinging bombs. The second round, he wasn't as tired as I thought he was going to be, but it was a matter of time. And as he starts to fatigue and as he starts to slow down, his wrestling's all of a sudden not that good. And that strength advantage that he had in the first round, it's not there anymore. And that was Aljo's kryptonite. Be the stronger man. Power him to the ground. Not being strong because you're tired. Not being able to complete the wrestling. Now you're going to have to stand with this guy. He's going to have superior output because he's a volume puncher and he's got good cardio. Aljo wins the second. Third round, it's, I, I may have, I don't know, I may have mixed up the Jamie Pickett-Joseph Holmes one for Aljo Brito, but the third round was close. Like, you had Brito marching forward. He was the aggressor. He was letting his hands go. The striking numbers aren't that far off. Aljo's starting to tire as well. It's been a fairly hectic pace. He's on his back foot. His punches don't have any zap left on them, but then he gets the takedown with, like, 45 seconds left. Yeah, he was the one that landed just a series of solid elbows to the side of Brito's head. This is definitely an LJO's round. Steals it. If there was a question, he steals it in the last minute for sure. Solidifies it, I guess I guess I should say. And uh, wins a 29-28 unanimous decision. So, LJO's typically been my boy because he's got good cardio. He fights all the way through. It's just I'm so disappointed in his last performance. Largely on just with eight takedowns. Just gave them up like nothing. This one started out just like that. Oh, man. Here's LJO going again. Who's got worse wrestling? Bill LJO? Or uh, Kevin Kroom or Charles Rosa. Ha, ha, ha. Like, those are the jokes that we're drumming up here. And uh, cardio wins again. So if you're in shape and you can fight a full 15, you can expose these guys like Juanis and Brito that, I don't know if it was nerves. Again, this is UFC debut. These are the bright lights. Dana White's over there. Like, I, I don't know what gets to these guys, but he, he just fought nervous and exerted way too much energy in the early going. And Bill Aljo was able to catch him late. Uh, would have been a great live betting opportunity for Aljo because even – they show those little tweets in the side of the corner. So, but that's just kind of what the internet's all thinking, right? It's a collective thought is that everybody scored the round for Brito, but everyone was like, momentum is in Aljo's corner. So, you know, this guy pre fight underdog just lost the first round, but he's getting the ball rolling now. Uh, you could see the writing on the wall. Would have been a good live betting opportunity. Fortunately, I didn't pull the trigger on it. Vacheslav Borshev versus Dakota Bush. We've got Borshev here. He's a team alpha male striking coach. Solid guy, but clearly likes to strike. If he does have an issue, maybe it's his takedown defense. But again, the narrative coming in is that when you're the team alpha male striking coach, it's not as if you're just striking all day long. You're working day-to-day basis with some of the best wrestlers in the sport. And a lot of guys I would emulate a Dakota Bush, guys that can take you down. But what we see in Borshev's game is he gets taken out. He's a serious problem. Dakota Bush, meanwhile, I, I thought taking a debut against Austin Hubbard on short notice in the UFC – 
he started out pretty good. He had a real good leg kick game to him. He moved pretty fluid on the feet, and then he just tires out and allows Hubbard to take over. He's got three pro losses, all three of them by decision. So, you know, the guy doesn't have a durability issue, but it did seem like he had a cardio issue. You could chalk that up to him taking the fight on short notice, but now he's had a bit of a layoff. He's coming back full camp. You know, maybe maybe people were considering Dakota Bush to have that wrestling advantage, that grappling advantage. Uh, early on in this one, he puts it to good use. I mean, he gets the takedown over Borshev, but I really liked what I seen out of this guy right away. Just like, you know, pushes the shoulders back, creates space, tries to get his feet, puts them on the hips, shoots you, like pushes you up, creates the first time he tries to crawl up, Dakota Bush is right back on him, but he just goes right back to the exact same thing. Get my feet on his hips, push him off, create space, get back up. He's able to create a, a scramble that scramble briefly gives up his back like dakota bush does up end up on his back but he just shakes him off bush is too high shake 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 get him off now standing bush clips him and when i watched it live i remember it being like oh borshev's chinny oh borshev's hurt oh he's on skates oh my god and then he turned it around Rewatching it again this morning he not that hurt you know he kind of loses his equilibrium briefly like he's not as rocked as i remember him being and you can see the whole time that he's rocked he's still like laser focused like he's still countering he lands a nasty counter left that doesn't quite put bush away but uh gets his attention and i think bush is kind of similar to the hubbard fight he comes out hard for the first three minutes and then he starts to peel back and 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 fade away a little bit and as soon as he peeled back and started to fade away Borshev stood right in front of him, just started clubbing him. He landed two or three solid shots for that body, but for the liver shot, you know, left hook to the body, just crumpled him over. But uh, I wouldn't want to fight Borshev, man. I wouldn't want to fight any of these guys. What do I know? But this guy just comes at you like a madman. What's his weakness? Oh, uh, his takedown defense, take him down. But he just, he works the entire time to get back up. Then when he does get back up, he comes at you and he's got big power. You know, oh, he's chinny. You know, Dakota Bush clipped him. Even when he was rock, he's still chucking heavy leather. So he's a little bit older. He doesn't have a ton of MMA experience. He's only now six and one. Uh, so I would say he's a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of like his overall growth potential and being a legitimate prospect. But again, this is a scary matchup for a lot of the guys in the division. And he's going to be able to go out there and cash a lot of 50K tickets based on just a really fun, appealing fight style and uh, the potential to get finishes. So. Borshev, man, solid stuff. Kayla Jakagan versus Jennifer Maya. Oh, and Dakota Bush, meanwhile, like, I just don't know what to do with him. Like, yeah, he'd be entertaining for three minutes, but he's not shown an ability to really fight outside of the first round, outside of the first few minutes, really. Uh, they've done him no real favors on a matchmaking standpoint. Austin Hubbard's not a slouch. Not great, but he's not a slouch. And then Borshev, like, did nobody else want to fight this guy? <laughs> Probably not, but he unfortunately, you know, gets that fight. One, like, he got a head headshot KO. It's not like he's got a massive concussion he's going to have to nurse for a little while. It's a body shot. You can go back to the drawing board and make some improvements, I guess. But I just think his overall game is very limited. Borshev advanced. Advanced because he's already 30, 31 years old. He's 31 years old. Um, but like a Chris Curtis, he could have some fine years in those later time because he's not he's not your average six and one prospect. He's uh pretty advanced for that. Anyways, Caitlin Chukagian versus Jennifer Maya. Caitlin Chukagian, this is as good as it gets. She ends up being on the second line only because I'd like putting the main event on my top ticket to create the hedge out opportunity. But Caitlin Chukagian's otherwise your second most confident pick. We've already seen her fight Jennifer Maya, and it, it was pretty straightforward. She won the first two rounds. She's a better striker. She's faster. She controls the distance a lot better. 
Her wrestling, in my personal opinion, her wrestling and her jiu-jitsu is both better than Jennifer Myers. But you did see her stuck on the bottom a little bit in that first time around. So I think that was a little bit of a narrative for some folk was if Maya ends up on top, Kayla Chikagian's kind of lost. Just not strong enough to to get back up, I guess, and she'll just give up round time, which is never something you want to do. But uh, my boy Paul Shaughnessy, my man, he, he mentioned it pretty much summed it up best when he broke down the fight on Wednesday. He was like, it's the rematch nobody asked for. And why did nobody ask for the rematch? Because it wasn't competitive the first time. It was very clear-cut, 29-28, and there's a good argument that Kayla winning the third round before getting taken down, just being like, ah, I've already won the fight. I'm just going to hang out here. Fair. So this time around, you want Caitlin Chukagan. You also want the decision. I mean, she's minus 200 money line, but only minus 120 for the, for the decision prop. She's a decision fighter. Jennifer Maya is very durable. And she's going to be able to probably take everything Caitlin Chukagan's throwing at her. So do you want to improve that by taking the decision? I just thought this one went pretty, pretty good. Could have gone bad, but when, yeah, it, it ended up being fine. In the first round, she's faster than Maya. I think she did a good job of landing the counter punches. You know, just stuff the takedown attempts, control the space, just just beat her to the punch, you know, had the volume. She wins the first round. It wasn't like it was a absolute blowout first round, but I think we can all agree that she's won the first round. In the second round, Maya starts to find her distance a little bit. Like she's coming forward, she's standing her ground well. And the issue with Caitlin Jukagan is that she lands really nice looking punches, really nice looking kicks. But none of it really results in a whole lot of damage. So you can land a beautiful counter, right? She landed a couple really nice counter punches that were just crisp right on the money. And Jennifer Maya would just eat them and just walk right through them. So visually not that appealing. Meanwhile, Maya would club Caitlin Chukagian, and you see a cut open over uh, Chukagian's right eye. That stuff kind of looks better for the judges. I'm And I'm a pessimist when i am got money on something. I'm leaning towards Jennifer Maya in the second round. And then with like... 45 seconds side dive throw like it's a well there's a judo name you know in judo you're holding on to someone's lapel man you have a, a shirt sleeve so you can like follow through it's not a good move in mma especially in the second round when you're sweaty especially in a round that you may have actually won what a dumb bozo move that was and she just right away gives up her back to caitlin chikagian who spends the next 45 seconds she was a little high, but she had a full back take for 45 seconds. Land a couple punches here and there. All it does is just secure that second round for Caitlin Chukagian. It could have been a 1-1 going into the third. Bad decision makes it a 2-0 going into the third. And then in the third, it would not have mattered. I thought that was Chukagian's best round. Maya starts to slow down. As she slows down, she's not really cutting off the ring. She's kind of just moving forward. She's not really throwing anything in return. And she's just following. And that really plays into Chukagian's hand because she wants to just counter. Move, counter, stay to the outside. And she just really good third round. I thought it was her best third round. Take down when you want. You know, I think she she showed in this fight she was a better striker, a better wrestler, better grappler, better cardio, better ring IQ, better fighter. And we kind of knew that going in. And that ended up being the end result. So she wins. She wins by decision. That that was kind of the only fight that really just went according to plan. Like we got picks right, sure. But uh Borshev, geez, he, maybe he did get rocked and he gave a couple takedowns up. Um Brian Kelleher, first round, yeah, he kind of took it off a little bit. TJ Brown, ah, TJ Brown was kind of a walk in the park. I wasn't as high up on him, though. You know, I second-doubted myself. Kaylin, we knew she'd take care of business. She did take care of business. She hit the, the prop for us as well. Did her job. We are good. Brandon Royval versus Rogerio Bontarine. Royval's on the second ticket as well. 
what, what is that a little high? Yeah, could be. It's only a 10 fight card. Struggled to where, where's the real confidence at? And uh, I, I thought that he has a much deeper gas tank. All these scrambles, all this movement is going to tire out Rogerio Bontarin. That'll be the difference maker. Um, and this one was close, man. I would not have cried robbery if Bontarin got his hand raised and it being a split decision for Brendan Royval. I think it really comes down to how you score that first round because in the first, it's close. It's competitive. I thought Royval was landing the better strike standing but he gets taken down. As soon as he gets taken down, he starts throwing up submission attempts. He's trying to scramble. He's trying to lock something down. It's just Rogerio Bontarine is tight. He stays in side control for a good portion of that first round. Doesn't land one single strike. Doesn't look to advance his position. He is just chest to chest, very tight, not giving up any space, locking him down. Does that win you around? Does control win you around when there's no thought process? There's no attempt to land damage. There's no attempt to really improve your position. There's no attempt to, not that entertaining anybody is part of the scoring criteria. It's not. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a fight. You're trying to score points. It's just, it's just bear hugging someone and holding them down. Is that, that scoring points? I don't know. But Roy Val landed some decent elbows off his back. He's trying to scramble. He's trying to throw up submission attempts. He did land the better striking standing. I, I got to think that Brandon Roy Val will win the first round. Just who the hell knows? Who the hell knows? So Royval's about a minus one sixty-five pre-fight, and then I see he's a minus one ten at least on my book after the first round, and I scored the first round for him. So I did hit the live bet on it, but also that led me to believe uh, the bookmakers and other people scored the first round for Bontarine, and could be. Here was my thing: is I expected Bontarine to now absolutely gas out because it was a hectic first round, and I'm just not sold on this guy's. Uh, cardio. So in the second round, where I'm expecting him to tire out, <laughs> he doesn't. He looks pretty okay in the second round. He gets the takedowns. The difference in that second round for me is that he would score the takedown. Roy Val would scramble to get back up to his feet, and then it would just be like another takedown. Or he would advance his position, not because he was trying to advance his position, because Roy Val would scramble and allow him to take his back. Roy Val would scramble and allow him to end up on, you know, not he never mounted him or anything, but he would just allow positions to improve. Not you trying to do anything. It's just your opponents. He's got to open up his guard to get back up to his feet. He needs to open up his guard to throw up submission attempts. All of that allows you to pass. All of that looks good. And so I straight up got the second round scored for Rosario Bontarine. Now here's the dilemma is that the first round is a toss up. It really is. Uh, I'm thinking it's Roy Val. Other people are thinking it could be Bontarine. The bookmakers, the fact that they dropped the line like that, I would I would have to think they thought it was Bontarine as well. The second round is definitely Bontarine. So if I'm down two rounds, and there's a possibility I'm down two rounds here, Roy Val needs to finish in the third round. Like he needs to absolutely go for it. The third round is what I thought the second round would be. Roy Val comes out hot because he's got good cardio, trains at altitude over in Colorado. Guy's solid. Guy can fight a full 15, a hard 15. I would I would suggest he can fight 25. He's not gonna because he's not headlining anything anytime soon, but he's got deep cardio. Bontrine doesn't. Where I thought that would rear its ugly head in round two, it didn't. In round three, totally did. He's gassed. Now he's not even coming close to uh, takedown attempts. Roy Val's all over him, striking. I mean, he's just beating him up. The thing is, is that he's leaving himself open to takedowns because he's getting over aggressive. Maybe he thinks he could be down two. He either needs a finish or a 10-8 round, and he is going for it. It allows Bontrine to maybe ever so slightly try to get his grappling going, but I thought he was tired. I thought he was tired, and then finally you see Roy Val get the takedown on Bontrine. And in the first or second round, because I think Bisbing might have speculated it, they were like, oh, makes you think, what if Roy Val just went for the takedowns earlier in the fight? I don't think he would have gotten. 
You need to cook this guy. You need to tire this guy out. You need to get him huffing and puffing. And when he's tired, now you can take him down. And when you take him down, he's not going to scramble to get back up because he's tired. Third round is the most most decisive round of the fight. It's Roy Valls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, how could you in the iron bar? So Bontarine very briefly ends up on top. You see Brandon Roy Valls throw up a tight little arm bar, and he leans up again in real time. It looked like it was two touches. And I thought, I thought to myself the same thing watching the TV. I was like, hey, it looked like a tap. But Roy Val never let go of the thing, right? It wasn't like he thought he tapped. He gave him gave him some, the benefit of the doubt. Like, he hung on to the thing. Bontrine didn't look totally, totally worried about it. He didn't look like he was panicking. And then when they later showed, because they showed the commentators the replay, Bisbing, he sold that it was a tap. When they showed the replay after the fight to the fans, to the viewers at home, it was just one touch. He just touched it once. So, so you can argue, guys got you in an arm bar. You're trying to figure out what you're going to do about it. You know, do I do I try to clear his leg? You touch the leg, and then you go back to doing something else. It wasn't like a touch, touch, two taps. Hey, that's a tap. One tap. I, I don't honestly think it was a tap. My Twitter thought it was a tap. A lot of people thought that the right man won because of that tap. I thought the right man won because that's how I had it scored. I thought Roy Val won the first round. I thought Roy Val won the third round. The third round wasn't a 10-8, but it was the best round of the fight. He ended it hard. And the third round to me was just uh, an accumulation of how the fight was going. You had one guy fighting his balls off, going for it, throwing output, throwing damage, chopping him up with elbows, looking for submission attempts if he can. That's fighting. You're here to fight. That's what he's doing. The other guy is looking to hold on and kill the clock. And that's something that he had been doing largely throughout the whole fight. So who won the fight? Not who won this athletic competition with a couple numbers here and there. Who won the fight? Wow, well, it was Brandon Royval. So, yes, yes, the right man did win. Jake Collier versus Chase Sherman. Could have, should have, would have gone all of these things. I should have gone heavy on Jake Collier. Nah, I mean, it was a, it was a shitty heavyweight fight. Uh, I told Paul the thing with Chase Sherman is he's just no good. He's not on the juice anymore. He hasn't been fighting particularly well. And he's been fighting a similar level to what Jake Collier brings to the table, right? mid-range, non, non-athletic heavyweight, but has a solid enough chin and throws a ton of volume. Good cardio for this weight class. And he shows up like 20 pounds bigger than Chase Sherman. So he was going to be a prom right from the get-go. It's as I didn't necessarily think it was going to happen that fast and that decisively. I'll, I'll, I'll give Jake Collier one thing. That was kind of a signature victory for him, considering Chase Sherman's fought decent guys, right? I... Not great guys by any stretch, but his last two fights, Parker Porter and Andre Arlovsky, he went the distance. You know, he went a five-round decision against the bare-knuckle boxing champion of the world, Joey Beltran. His first run in the UFC, once upon a time, uh, I guess he's never really fought really high-end guys, but just the guys he's fought, no one's ever just ran right through him like that. Normally, you wait until he tires a little bit. Normally, it's a it's a rock'em, sock'em robot matchup for three to five minutes, he lands a couple good shots, you land a couple good shots, maybe you can wilt him. No one's ever just dominated him, pillar to post, that easy. Jake Collier, man, for real. So I released five props, and to be honest, so I put out TJ Brown by decision, plus 120, hit, we're good. Brian Keller, decision, plus 200, we good. I blew it on a Ramiz Brahimaj decision, so we're two and one. We hit back with Caitlin Chukagian. I wanted to put Jake Collier by decision, right? Paul and I talked about on the show, plus 150, not quite enough. Then I thought, why not just put fight go the distance? In the last minute, I thought, 
you know what? It's heavyweights. The other decisions I like on the card, we're cool with that. We're going to roll with that. Don't need this heavyweight one. The second that fight started, thank God, because you knew there is no way this thing's going the distance. Mind you, Chase Sherman throws lots of volume, and he's more of a decision guy. Jake Collier, he throws volume all the time, and he's a decision guy. He had it in his mind, this ain't going past two rounds, and it wasn't. He got in his face. He threw caution to the wind. He hit Sherman with a couple really heavy shots standing. As soon as he took him down, just right to full mount. And then right from full mount, did I mention there was a 20-pound advantage for Collier? Because there was. And he put it to good use. He was just heavy in full mount. Chase Sherman was not going to get him off. And the problem was there was like three and a half minutes left on the clock. Like, who, who, who in the right mind is going to have 265-pound Jake Collier in a full mount for three and a half minutes? Well, you had better be good at jiu-jitsu, which Chase Sherman is not. And so, yeah, beat up, beat up. Eventually, what are you going to do? Full mount. You have no other option other than turn and give up your back. So he took his only option. And when he gave up his back, Collier sunk in the choke. It's amazing to me because Collier was not a good middleweight. And then he takes all this time off. He skips 205 altogether. He shows up as a giant, awful looking heavyweight. And then rightfully so, gets smoked up by Tom Aspinall in less than a minute. You know, it was a joke. Look at this big fat joke. He's literally a meme on the internet. They book him for a second fight. And it's like people are just salivating at an opportunity to fade this guy. But Shows up, shows up, not bad. And this fight here, it's like, I wanted to love him. I wanted to, but even, even me, I thought, ah, it's Jake Collier. You going to top ticket him? No. You going to second ticket him? Ah, I would really rather not. So he slides down the rankings, but uh, shit, man, like appearance is not everything. You can't judge a book by its cover. And in this case, Jake Collier, even at the weigh-ins, like I, I wanted to believe in him. When I saw the weigh-ins, I was like, nah, 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 no, I'm not going to believe in him. He looked good, dude. He looked good. As best as he ever has. So here's where we're sitting. So our top ticket, because we'd like to include that main event, is got Giga Chikots, and he's along with Brian Keller. So we're looking at not quite even money, but it's like minus 111. So paying a little bit of juice on there, but Okay. That second ticket has Caitlin Chikagi and Brandon Roy Val. Now that's paying over three to one, plus three thirty. So we're gonna hit a plus three thirty and our even money on the top ticket. Uh, the props went three of five, but the three that hit were all plus money, including the plus two hundred Brian Kelleher. So props are out of slight profit. You can you can hedge out here and take your slight profit as well. I just didn't. It's the first event of the year. I got some bankroll. Cashed out last year's bankroll. We're good. Start with a new one. Yeah, yeah. If I lose here on Giga Chikots, he's a top ticket. The the pro, the the PRP's already been dead. But I mean, the parlays are all dead. The props are at a slight profit, right? So it's not a terrible night. I just wanted to go for it. I don't know. And I knew the price wasn't great in Giga Chikots. Would have been an easy hedge on uh, on Calvin, but I don't know. I just I thought I had the big boy balls on. It's the first event of the year. Having some fun. Picks haven't been terrible. Props haven't been terrible. Why not let this one ride and see how it goes out? Bankroll management, because this is a season-long thing, right? We're going to be betting 52 UFC cards this year. Well, what is there, 48 scheduled? 48 UFC cards this year. And then on top of that, Bellator, PFL, Contender Series is coming back. Victor's on, LFA's on. A lot of opportunities. Uh, yeah, well, just 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 grind up, grind up, grind up. This would have been an easy, easy opportunity. Calvin Cater, right? Good plus money tag next to him. I just didn't, and so that's the mistake that I got to pay for, and uh, I did did pay for it. Uh, I, I mentioned on the preview show that if Calvin was to lose the first two rounds but hang around, be a good live betting opportunity. 
the thing is, is that he won the first round. And then so right away, that took it off the table. Just like now he's the favorite. And it only built from there. I'm actually surprised that after two, they only had Calvin Cater at minus 340 on the live market. Because after two, you just knew uh, it, it was going Cater's way. I mean, his cardio was was on point. He showed up to weigh-ins. He looked like a beast. Like physically, this is as good a shape as a male human being could get to. Like this guy's cut up. And he fought, cut up. He was ready to go. He was ready to go 25 minutes. You know his durability solid because Max Holloway hit him with everything, including the kitchen sink, and he stood up to it. What was Giga going to do that Max hadn't done to him? He was ready to go 25. I just thought maybe if he drops a round or two, you can get an even better plus money tag. It'd be worth it. In this case, after two rounds, he still looked fresh. Giga was half crumpled over, just, just puffing. And yeah, yeah, I'm surprised 340 was the price I was offered. I think it was seven to one after the fourth round, and then in the fifth round, again, this is Calvin Cater pillar to post. The few t- things that maybe went wrong for him is that when you're fighting an elite level guy like Giga, you're not not gonna get hit. That first round, he eats a couple decent body shots. The obviously the Giga kick is on display. That left high, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. He can go to the body. He can go to the head. It's that when as soon as he slipped on that high kick, okay, you can see. It's almost as if Giga thinks Calvin wants to have a striking battle exclusively, with Calvin's geared up to do that. But in a gentleman manner, when as soon as he slips on it, he's real lackadaisical standing back up. And Calvin just showcases massive ring IQ. The second he saw Giga fell down, his brain was wired to be like, golden opportunity. He takes the golden opportunity, and he gets an easy takedown out of it. I wouldn't say easy. Pick him up and slammed him. Looked like it uh, took some work. But uh, as soon as he got on top, I mean, that's the rest of the first round. On the second round, you got a more tired Giga. You just banked a first round. Confidence is going. And yeah, he just wasn't, Giga wasn't throwing enough volume. The shots that he did throw were good. And he landed some decent shots on Calvin for sure. But Calvin did exactly to Giga what Max had done to him. He backed him up. He landed volume. And he just beat him up, pillar to pose. Now, here's the one problem I got. Low key, I had it over three and a half. And, uh, and a fight goes the distance. Whatever. I didn't hedge out of the main event, but that was kind of my way of having some action on the main event regardless, right? If, if Gig is going to blow this for me, he's not getting knocked out in the first couple rounds. Over three and a half, fight goes the distance. Okay, I could see it. Giga earned my respect, not because he's an elite level fighter, because I think he got exposed here, but because uh, most human beings wouldn't go through that. Most human beings, he had ample opportunity to quit. He was tired in the second round, and it did not get better. He's gassed the entire way. It seemed like Calvin could just put the foot on the gas a little bit more and take this guy out of there. But he fought back. His face was a mess. His body was giving out on him. He had zero path to victory here, and he took that beating. And whereas Calvin earned a lot of people's respect by taking that beating, how do you come back from that? You can't. Calvin looked as good as he ever has. Giga needed to take that beating to show that he could. The chips are down. Are you going to quit? Are you, are you here for the long haul? And he showed it. And now he's going to have to come back in his next fight. And it's going to be difficult because he hadn't lost an MMA in a while. And this was a devastating beating. You see the pictures at the hospital. It's like, oh, my God. Calvin's face, if you saw that guy in the, on, a, on a public bus, he'd just be like, I don't know. Maybe he smacked it. I don't, know. I, don't, I don't even know if you would question if anything happened to him. If you saw Giga on a public bus sitting like that. He'd call the cops. <laughs> He'd be like, "Some dude, this guy just got jumped by five men. His face is trashed. 
solid stuff. So for Giga, he's not a well-known grappler, and they gave him a striker. They gave him a striker. They didn't go the route of, here's somebody that's going to take you down and expose you. They tried to give him a fight that played to his strong suit. And a guy fought him t- right in his strong suit and beat him exactly at that. Now what if a guy decides, I want to take him down? He's got holes in his game. He's not the best striker in the division, and his grappling is going to be a massive flaw. And this is his first time fighting five rounds, and his cardio, in my opinion, failed him in the about in the second. So, yeah, outside of heart and a good chin, tough night at the office for Giga Chikots. In terms of Calvin Cater, this is good stuff, man. This is Jake Collier-esque in the sense that your last fight, you're a bum. Not in Collier. Collier would be two fights ago. You know, you're a bum. Oh, I can't believe... I picked Calvin over Max Holloway. I was sold on this guy. He does have good technical boxing. When you get exposed like that, it shows you that there's levels. Calvin just not at that level. Now he's got to take on a guy like Giga that people are claiming could be next level. This puts you back on the map in a huge way. And he did exactly that. So, yeah, it's a shitty way to end up the main event. Would love for Giga to hit. And I let it ride. And I look like the genius. And we hit the top two tickets. And we hit, you know, our props came out positive. This is a great start to 2022. I let it ride. And just like always, you learn lessons, right? We learn more about Giga. We learn more about Calvin. And uh, it, was, it was a fun main event regardless. So all we can do is jump back on the horse. I think we've got a Bellator coming up as well. And we've got a much larger UFC 270 card that uh, has some really nice looking spots on it. So anyways, stay tuned for the Dogger Pass preview show this Wednesday with Paul and I. And uh, yeah, hopefully you guys came out of this one profitable or at the very least not too banged up and had some fun watching the fights overall. I will catch you the next time. Best of luck. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.